Uh, we're going to be in Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be in verses 6 and 7. 6 and 7 from Malachi chapter 3. If you want to open there. Also, we have Kids Church of but also kiddos are welcome to stay in here. We love having kids in the church, but if, you would li- if you'd prefer, we have a nursery, we have a younger kids, pre- uh, kids church, and older kids kids church for all the way up through second grade. Join with, join with me, Malachi 3, 6, and 7. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Join with me in prayer. Lord, we are... Uh, mindful today as we come before you of all that you have provided. We sang, great is thy faithfulness. And Lord, we are thankful that you truly have been uh, great, uh, faithful to us. We are grateful to you for your blessings, those that we see every day and those uh, that we forget. We thank you, Father, for <clears throat> your redeeming love for your son and for <clears throat> the ultimate price that was paid on the cross. Lord, we <clears throat> thank you for our community and thank you for this church and the leaders here. We pray a blessing upon them. And Lord, now from Psalm 101, I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord. I will make music. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Now pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, And forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. And I appreciate getting to pray with you in the Lord's Prayer. That was exciting. So... Sometimes when you write a sermon, it all comes at once. Sometimes when you're writing a sermon, it comes like never. Um, that's just how it goes when you're, when you're uh, getting into the Word of God, at least for me, at least. Um, uh, but you just keep at it. You get in the Word. You try to understand it. You try to let it uh, uh, form you. You try to let it shape you and mold you um, as we go in. 
And as we've been going through Malachi, I've, I've seen the, the Lord doing some good things in my heart. I've seen uh, refining. I, I hope that the Lord has been refining you, um, that he has been, uh, by his word, through his power, through situations, through just the Holy Spirit at work in you, that he's refining you, that he's making you more and more like him, that he's cleansing your heart um, on a daily basis. Not, just, not Though we are cleansed by the blood of Christ, there is this process of sanctification that, uh, that is regularly going on as we follow him. Um, last week, we, we dove into the idea of God as cleanser and refiner from Malachi chapter 3 um, at the beginning of it and how the people were looking to God and saying, God, you are not just. We, I see injustice in this world and uh, I see it seems as though you take delight in those who are, who are evil, so you must be evil and you must be unjust. And God is saying, I am neither of those things. Rather, I am faithful and I, and, and I love I, I love you, and I am going. To, I am bringing justice. That the ju- I will be bringing my justice perfectly when the Lord will come to His temple, and He will make purification. He will refine us. He will cleanse us. And we know, looking, you know, they didn't know looking forward, but we know looking back that that is Jesus coming, who will refine us through the cross, where He can, God can be both just and the justifier. All right. Um, today, I planned to go. Um, through uh, from six through about 13 or 14 um that was kind of my my plan and uh and as i was as i was uh preparing last night and throughout the week um god was i i I have a pretty good message uh that i'm working on going through all that but this morning when i woke up i just didn't feel comfortable um going that far so uh we're gonna have an abbreviated sermon today um mostly because i feel like the lord was moving that direction so um we're gonna be uh, just doing verses six and seven, just six and seven, instead of going all the way through where we talk about all these, the, uh, all the stuff with tithes and offerings. And that is because I believe that God wants to teach us something specifically about this today. So we'll start in verse six. It says for the, the Lord or for I, the Lord does not change. Do not change. O children of Jacob. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Let me say that again. For I, the Lord God, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Starting here, this is a picture of God, uh, one of God's qualities. It's called one of his attributes. It's called his immutableness, all right? Now, that's a big word. What it means is he does not change. All of his attributes he has in full. So that means God doesn't change. Isn't yesterday he's angry and tomorrow he's happy. No, he doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And uh, some of you guys may have accidentally believed in, on some level that God is mutable, that he does change, that he is different then and now. In fact, many of you guys, maybe the way you look at the Bible is that you see the God of the Old Testament as angry, vengeful. And the God of the New Testament is loving and kind. And you look at that and you say, well, God must have been this way then and that way now. But the Bible is making it clear that is not who God is. God does not change. He is not like a man. He does not change. So we're speaking about God's uh, immutableness here. And uh, I think there's, there's problems that arise uh, when we think about God's attributes. Oftentimes, when we talk about one of the God's attributes, there's a temptation to highlight them above all else. But I believe that like a, like, a, uh, like a cord that is braided, God's attributes are braided together in such a way that if you highlight one and remove the others, or if you, in some level, diminish some or take some away, um, you get a, a God that isn't God at all. In fact, um, I, I've seen this temptation in our culture to highlight one of God's attributes while, uh, while, while on some leaving the others behind. One example of this today you'll see in New Age Christianity, which is 
uh, people want to highlight God's love and leave God's holiness behind. When you do this, you get a God that is neither loving nor holy because the God is loving people. This would be the new, this kind of new age Christian idea. People say that God accepts me and loves me no matter what. So follow your heart. Do what feels right because God's love for you will never, ever change. Now, they've got some parts of that right. Is that fair? They're not like totally missing the boat on some of the ideas of God's love. However, they're, they're, but when they denude God's holiness from his love, they miss some important parts because the God they're worshiping, like I said, he's, he's neither loving nor holy. Because when you follow your, uh, when, when, you, when you say, follow your heart, because God's going to love, God, God loves you this. I think Hitler was following his heart when he did what he did. I think uh, if, if you say, do what feels right, that might lead you to a back alley shooting up heroin. Wrong behavior, uh, uh, like when, when, when we have a God who won't challenge our wrong behavior, we have nothing but a cosmic cheerleader. Nothing against cheerleaders if you were in here, but let's be clear, you add nothing to the game. That's not being mean. I'm just like, nobody wins or loses because you were there. I think, sorry, I did, that's not a jab at cheerleaders. I apologize. I should have I thought of that more. Maybe come up with a better illustration. Um, I know uh, a God like this is of no value in your life. In fact, unless he's willing to call you out of your spiritual darkness, then he is not genuinely a loving father. And a, God, a God who is only love with no holiness, without his other attributes, this God is a God who would, uh, who, who would cheer on somebody when, like I said, like I said before, when they, cheer, when they take drugs for the first time. This is a father who would cheer on their son when they're being immoral. Say, well, you know what? I love you. Get, just, just, just go at it. Do what, you, do what you think's right. We all know that's not, we, would, we would not think that, that those kinds of fathers are loving. Or we would think there's something severely lacking in their love. Similarly, if, you have a, if, you're, a, if you're a person who wants to highlight God's holiness above, over and above everything else, rather than thinking of his holiness with his love, you get a religion that looks a lot like Islam. Or if you highlight God's sovereignty and, and take none of his other attributes, you get deism. None of God's attributes uh, uh, are, none, of, none of God's attributes are meant to be taken by themselves. They're all one thing. And one of the things about all of God's attributes is that they are immutable. Meaning, they, like I said, they do not change. God does not dampen his attributes. He doesn't soften them. He doesn't turn them off. He is like the sun radiating out his attributes in full force. The sun cannot mute its light. It cannot dampen its light. Is that fair? Similarly, God does not mute his characteristics. He is completely loving. He is completely holy. We talk, we talk in, our, in our prayers of praise at the beginning. Uh, we talk about different attributes of God. We talk about the aseity of God. We talk about all these different things because we want you to see the beauty, the glory, the wondrous picture of who God is because he is, isn't just all these attributes. He isn't just some force. He is, a, he, he is the living and holy God who is, who is personal to us. So let's get into verse six a little more deeply. So we see that God is immutable. He doesn't change. So why is God saying this right now to the people? It says, for I, the Lord, God, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. All right? So because God doesn't change, they are not consumed. And, and why is God saying this? Well, let's read a little further from, from, in verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statues 
and not have not kept them. Let's be clear. God, God is calling them, first of all, it's interesting. He doesn't call them Israel. He calls them the children of Jacob. Inter- you guys remember, J- Jacob's name is changed, right? His name goes from Jacob to Israel. Why is he calling them the children of Jacob? I think he's clearly identifying them with the type of person that Jacob is. A person who did what? Who ignored the statutes of God. A person who was rebellious. A person who was a trickster. A guy who was not, wasn't faithful to God in a lot of ways. He, said, he calls them the children of Jacob and he says, but because of my love for, uh, because of my covenant with you, because I do not change, that's why you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. God is saying that you have not earned my love. There's nothing you did to earn it. I have given it to you. And because I have given it to you, because you are people with whom my love rests on, you people have been called out of darkness into light. And because of this, you are not consumed. Not because of anything you did. You are just as bad as anyone else around. You guys are, you 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 Israelites are not special in in it, except that I have called you. That's the only reason why there, you, you have any kind of claim on me. And in calling them, God gave them his word, the, the law. What does the law do? The law shows that you your sinfulness. Um, people tried to obey the, the law, and that is not a bad thing that they were doing. But as they tried to obey the law, they learned something about themselves. Every single Jew, if they were genuinely looking at the law, they learned one thing, which is they are not holy. They cannot keep this law. That, that's, that, that was one of the primary purposes of the law was to show them that they, are, they need grace, that they need to be cleansed, that they need grace to come to them. And that's why within the law there was prescribed these, sac- these sacrifices for their sin. And these sacrifices were meant to do what? To look forward to Jesus. These sacrifices, when they would sacrifice these things, these sacrifices were looking forward to, like I said, the perfect atoning sacrifice of Jesus. God has shown his, love, his covenant love to them by giving him his word, by calling them out of darkness and into light. And because of that, they are not consumed. We talked last week about God's, the, the fire uh, of who God is. It can either be a refining fire or a consuming fire, like a forest fire or, or, a, or a forger's fire, right? And God is saying, because you are mine, you are not burned like a forest fire. You are not consumed. Rather, you are refined. So, God says, God says this, and then he goes on and he challenges them. He says to them, you, you people of Jacob, you people who've turned to the left and the right from the time of old, turn back to me. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And then they respond with a question that isn't really a question. They, uh, 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 they say, how shall we return? Now let's be clear. They're saying, that this isn't like, uh, I doesn't seem to be an actual real question. It means it seems to be more like a lot of their other rhetorical questions, which is questioning whether or not they even need to return at all. But God is saying to them, I love you. I have loved you. I will love you. I love you with a white hot covenantal love that doesn't change based on your actions. My love for you is unconditional. Return to me. And I will return to you. God's immutable covenantal love should cause in our lives and in their lives, a wellspring of joy, pressing us, encouraging us, challenging us to return to him when we turn aside. See, all of those, all of those Israelites had turned aside. That's the picture. They had turned aside from God's, God's statutes, from the way that God said, you could have a right relationship with me. 
But God is a good father, and his love for us is an unconditional love. And I realize that many of you guys, you don't have great earthly fathers. Maybe it's hard for you to imagine. But even for those of you who have a wound that is father-shaped in your heart, I want you to know that the father that you always hoped for, that, that father that is perfect, that father that actually loves you no matter what, that, that father exists, and he is God. God is a father who lovingly pursues his children and when they, uh, when they turn aside. And he is ready and waiting for them to return as soon as they turn aside. I think there, there's no place that more clear, most clearly, uh, more clearly shows this than in Luke chapter 15 with the parable of the lost son. This is a picture Jesus gave uh, when, when, he was, when he, was telling, he was telling the Pharisees about what God is like. And if you guys remember the lost son, what did he do? He took his inheritance and he left and he went to a faraway land and he caroused and he did all these terrible things and he found himself in this terrible spot. And finally, he, 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 he returns to his senses and he realizes that if I just go home, even if I'm just a servant in my father's house, that's better than the life that I'm living. I've been going from trying to find joy, trying to find peace, trying to find hope, and I haven't found any of that out here. I find myself living in a hog pen, hoping for the hog's food. And so he comes home. And the, the, the most egregious part of the story that Jesus tells is what comes next. The father is waiting and looking, and when he sees his son, when his son turns back and he sees his son, what does he do? He runs to him, he hugs him, he kisses him, he puts a ring on his finger, a robe on his back, and throws a party. This, th this is the picture of God's covenantal love. When God is saying, return to me and I will return to you, he's showing you a picture of the prodigal son's father. A father that's, that is willing and wanting to turn back to you. A father who loves you above all else. I think there are many believers who think that the way back to God's good graces is long and hard because they've been pursuing their own ways for a while. And they think to get back to where I was, it's going to take forever. And the truth is you turn around and God is there. He is willing and wanting to embrace you, to meet you right where you are. I have a good friend, one of my best friends, in fact, uh, when, uh, we, when we graduated high school, he and I were about as close as any two people could be. Uh, he loved the Lord. I loved the Lord. And we were, pursue, we, we were pursuing, and I ended up going into ministry. And, uh, and he ended up staying at home, and he got married just right around the same time I got married. We, uh, he had kids a little bit before me, but uh, we, were, we were going on different paths. And I remember when I moved away, when I moved uh, uh, far away, and every time I would come back, I would see him, and I would talk to him about his faith. And it seemed as though my friend uh, had kind of fallen away. Just the, the best way I know how to explain it is he'd be like, oh, yeah, we haven't really started going to church yet. We, we, we went to a church and it didn't really work out and this and that. And when I would talk to him, I realized my friend was he's a hard worker and he would work like two to three jobs at a time to try to support a lifestyle for his family. See, he wanted to have this American dream lifestyle. So he was working like sometimes two to three jobs. And most a lot of times he was working on Sunday mornings. A lot of times he was doing all these different things to try to support his family. And uh, and he, he left no space in his life, no time in his life. For, the, uh, for being a part of the body of Christ. And uh, this went on for almost all of his 20s. Basically, uh, uh, through, through his 20s, uh, my friend was, 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 every time I would see him, I, I got no, like he would still say, oh, I love Jesus and all this, but when it came right down to it, there was no fruit of faith in his life. And I remember praying for him. I remember hoping and praying that, God, that, that he would return to God, that he would return, because I, I, I had a real 
Like I'd seen his faith when he was younger and I believed that he was a follower of Jesus. And about six years ago, um, this, this guy, he turns back, uh, uh, he, he, start, he and his wife, they, they kind of, I don't know what caused them, but they decided that they were going to make a commitment to get back in, into the uh, body of Christ. And they started going to church and uh, God got a hold of his heart. And this guy, who had spent for more than a decade far from God, all of a sudden became passionately on fire for Jesus. This guy went from being a guy who barely came to church to being a guy who's leading in their prayer ministry, a guy who starts a men's ministry that reach, that, that's reaching lots and lots of men for the, for the gospel, and a guy who now, six years later, is uh, being asked to be an elder in the body of Christ that he's a part of. And, and when I talked to my friend, last time I was down there, to hear the joy in his heart, to see the, the actual lighting up, the, the true joy that's being uh, flowing up out of his life, I realized that this guy, when he was working two to three jobs, there was no real joy. He was, pursuing, he was pursuing his joy, and he was getting none of it. But when he started pursuing Christ, he got Christ and joy. I think many of you, there may be things in your life that you are pursuing that aren't from God. There may be many things where you're turning aside from the way God has told us that we should live. How should we live? So we should live loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. What does that mean? That means everything we do, everything we do, we do for the glory of God. Whether we, whether we are eating, whether we are drinking, whether we are, whether, whether we are going to work, whether we are staying home, whatever we are doing, we are doing it to the glory of God. And I think about this, and, uh, and, and I wonder if there are those of us who, like my friend, have been pursuing other pursuits. Yes, Jesus is in our life. Yes, we love him. But on some level, we have turned aside like these Israelites. We would say, yes, Jesus, you are my king. And on some level, we pay lip service to him. But in reality, the way we're living is we have turned to the left or we've turned to the right. We've been pursuing our own means for one reason or another. If this is you, believer, I would challenge you to turn around today. To turn, return to the Lord. And he will return to you. You will have joy, the joy of your salvation. Many of you guys, you live joyless Christian lives because you are pursuing your own joy rather than pursuing Christ. Later we'll see, uh, if we would have went further in the text, we'll see that the people of God were thinking that following him, obeying him, was a burden. I can tell you, when you are turning towards God, when you are loving him, when you are glorifying him, it is not a burden. Yes, there are times when there, where, where, where the Lord constrains your heart and moves you in one direction or another, but I can tell you, just like uh, j j getting to serve him, getting to do things for him, these things aren't burdens, they are joys. They are things, when, when we're serving the Lord, it is a joy to do that. So, if you are in a prodigal space, if you are like my, my close friend, I would challenge you to turn. Maybe you have an unrepentant sin in your life, a sin that you know is there, and you've just sort of been allowing to sit there. I don't know what that is. Maybe, maybe it's that you know you have these fits of anger and you know that every single time somebody ticks you off, you, just, you tend to go off and yell at them. I challenge you to today, go to the Lord, return to the Lord. Say, give that to the Lord and say, God, I need your help. I don't want this in my life. Maybe you've been allowing the sin of pornography to just fester in your life, just sitting there, knowing that it's a struggle every day, but taking no action to kill it by the power of the Spirit. Maybe. You've got some other sort of sin that I don't have any clue about. 
Or maybe you've just been pursuing good things, but not godly things that have become idols in your life, like family, like the American dream, like, the, like, like some perfect job situation. I don't know what it is. God is challenging you. He's exhorting you to return to him so that you might have deep abiding relationship with him. Some of you in here, you might not be a believer. You might say, you know, I kind of believe in Jesus a little bit, but I don't really know about this, what you're saying. And it might be hard for you to believe that there's a God in heaven who genuinely loves you personally. But the truth is, we have all been lost. We, that's all of us. We are like lost sheep wandering here and there looking for anything to satisfy us. But there is a good shepherd calling to you and to me, bidding us to come and join his fold where there is greener grass than anything you'll find on your own, where there's true fellowship and there's a shepherd who loves you so much that he would lay his life down for you. Do you want to be in a relationship with a shepherd like that? Do you want to be in a community like that? All you need to do is go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I give myself to you. I've been like a sheep wandering here and there looking for anything, looking for anything to satisfy my soul, but nothing has filled this void in my heart. And the truth is, is nothing will. There will be temporary satisfactions. Let's be clear. There'll be temporary things that make you feel fulfilled, but they will, they will drain out of you so quickly and you will realize that you, you feel more empty than you felt before, more hollow than you felt before. Only in Christ can you have true satisfaction, true joy that doesn't diminish, that doesn't go away, that doesn't go away when sad things happen, that doesn't go away when the worst things happen. Only in Christ can you have genuine, genuine, true joy. And if you are far from him, I would challenge you today to give yourself to him. To say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm broken. I know that I have turned aside to the left or the right. I know I rightly deserve to be consumed. Yet I ask that you would save me. That you would, call, you would let me be a part of your fold. Jesus, I want to be yours. And I can tell you, God loves prayers like that. They don't have to be perfect. But if you are far from him today, I would challenge you to not return to him, but turn to him. And if you are a believer and you're far from him, I challenge you today to take the time when we sing in just a moment to just dwell on the goodness of God, the unchangingness of God. And if you know this sin, sin is your life, if you know if it's just been parked in your heart for a while, to just turn away, to say, God, I turn to you. I turn away from this sin. I turn away from the, my own paths and I turn back towards you. God, I want you in my life. Let us pray. Jesus, I pray that God, for those of us who are far from you, for those of us who have been struggling with disobedience in our life, with pursuing our own paths, Lord Jesus, I pray that God, you would, Lord, that our hearts would be turned back to you. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with whether or not you are trustworthy. Jesus, I pray that God, they would trust you. Lord Jesus, I pray for those who are, uh, who are far from you. Lord Jesus, I pray that, God, you would save them today. Bring them into your fold. And Lord, I ask specifically, God, for those who are, dealing, who are struggling with, with, with unrepentant sin in their life, Lord, with sin that they've been allowing to live in their life, Lord Jesus, I pray that, God, you would kill that sin in their life by the power of your Spirit. Lord, that, God, they would find true joy in their salvation. Lord, that they would find true hope. Lord, I pray that, like my friend, God, that the hope that they have in them, the joy that they have in them would leak out into those around them, Lord, that their lives would be so tangibly different that they're hardly recognizable because of the joy that you've ignited in their heart. 
Lord Jesus, I pray that, God, you would move for your glory. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.